0: Amen. Well, if you are new here, uh, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's our desire that you feel like you're, you're part of the family. And uh, you've come uh, to uh, Infusion Church uh, during our annual picnic uh, Sunday, and uh, it, is, it is our desire uh, to be a church that, that really reflects the community of grace that God has, has called us to be. And in a broken world, uh, that's, that's not easy, is it? You know, when you have family gatherings or you meet new people, like at a large family picnic or something, we're told that you are never to talk about two things. And what are those two things? That's right. You all know that you don't talk about religion and politics. There hasn't been any of that kind of talk going on in the news and social media or anything like that lately, has there? No, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. And I think the events in Charlottesville has kind of um, uh, pulled back the veil of of what's been underneath uh, all along. And what we see, and it's prevalent, what we see everywhere is frustration and fear and that it runs deep that it runs wide. There is still plenty of hostility between different races, races, different cultures, different political parties, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, and on and on and on. There is no shortage of hostility in our culture. And here's what I noticed when there are flare-ups like this. What I've noticed is that in hostile times like these, unfortunately... The Western church, at large, gains speed in its segregation problem. And it becomes even less effective in its God-given mission. There's different ways to say it, but the way that we say it here at this church, that that it is our mission, our calling to glorify God as we lead people to and through a life-changing, life-giving relationship with Jesus and His family. Now, my, my question to you is, what would the world look like if churches prioritized that above everything else? What would churches look like? What kind of communities would they be if they prioritized Jesus and his truth and his grace above everything else? Now, here's the thing. For us to fulfill that mission uh, that, that God's called us to be, to be obedient in that um, We talk about this a lot. We have to. And this is one of the ways that we've described it. And if you've been in infusion, this is going to sound familiar. In ancient times, when kings went out to battle and and conquered distant lands, they would set up kingdom outposts, right? And the outpost represented a king in in far-off lands where the kingdom had not yet been fully established. And the king could be in his capital Hundreds of miles away, and so the kingdom outposts were a visible demonstration to the people there of the reign and rule of the king, right? Well, we have a king too. His name is King Jesus, and he has gone out to battle too. But it's through his death and his resurrection and his truth and grace that he conquered the enemy the enemy of sin and death an eternal judgment to liberate the people of his creation. Now, this kingdom of grace has not yet been fully established, and so he established kingdom outposts to be a visible demonstration of what it's supposed to look like when King Jesus reigns and rules. So what does it look like? Well, I'm going to focus on one aspect this morning, just one. In Jesus' kingdom, in his kingdom, if we're taking the gospel and his, and his mission seriously, kingdom outposts will have a rich diversity of people living in true unity, right? People from every a nation, language, and tribe worshiping and serving God with all of the strengths of each culture and none of the sin. And we, do, we, we all do that in a way that promotes and strengthens unity, when so often it can be done in a way that, that weakens unity and drives people apart. Unfortunately, kingdom outposts in the United States have had a, a pretty poor track record. Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated hour in America is between 11 and 12 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And unfortunately, that's still very much the case. But here's the deal. When God's people have lived together in rich diversity and authentic unity, other people, people who don't know God, who don't know Jesus, when they see different cultures, different people, different races, different backgrounds, all, all kinds of differences unite and come together in Christ, they get drawn in to worship the God who's made that possible. And you know what? We don't have to guess what this looks like. There are places where we can see it, but we also see it in the scriptures when we look at the early church in Antioch. In the first century, Antioch in Syria had an extremely diverse population of over a half a million people. There were the, the, they had these racial differences and cultural differences, and it created so much uh, antagonism that the city built walls to separate the people to keep the peace. But then the gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace started to spread throughout Antioch and people from different races and cultures became followers of Jesus and they started crossing, climbing over the dividing walls to meet with each other, to worship to, to, together and to, and, and, to, um, and to break bread together. And you know what, here's here's what's interesting to me is that in that city, in Antioch, it was the first time, the first place where followers of Jesus were called Christians. And part of that was because they couldn't be labeled with with a, a racial tag or a cultural tag. They were a diverse people living in true unity. They were a kingdom outpost that transcended the walls of division. Now, with all my heart, with everything that is in me, I believe that this is what God has called our church, Infusion Church, to be, amen? And so the question is how, right? How can we grow in unity and diversity? First of all, this passage that we read shows us uh, what it looks like to make evaluations based on on the gospel. We, we see Paul uh, call one group strong, another group weak, and he makes evaluations and he expresses them, even negative evaluations. Usually this gets overlooked. Paul says, here we read this, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. And it's easy for us to think, well, I guess what he's telling us is that we shouldn't talk about what's right and wrong. And and then it says, you know what, the faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. And it's easy to think, okay, if there is a right way and a wrong way on a certain issue, you're not supposed to say anything about it. But Paul's doing exactly what we think he's saying not to do. He's evaluating cultural practices in light of the truth of the gospel. And he concludes that one practice is more in line with the gospel than another. And he is addressing a very specific situation here. Because the gospel can be applied to all areas of life. And so in this particular situation I'm going to tell you about, he is an apply, he's applying it here. There were people in this, in this context here from different races and different cultures who were divided. And in this case, they were divided over what they thought was moral and immoral when it came to religious dietary laws, what what they should and shouldn't eat. And people got so worked up that it divided them, these Christians. And they debated each other and they argued each other and they assumed the worst a, a, about each other and, and, and misrepresented you know, them and their, their arguments and they unfriended each other on Facebook. It was horrible. This is, this is the tension that was happening here. And so Paul weighs in and he says, you know, the strong, they eat everything, but the weak only vegetables. So is Paul slamming vegans here? Of course not. Just like he's not endorsing gluttony when he says the strong eat everything. Now, now context is important, right? Have you ever had someone take your words out of context and totally, they totally got the wrong idea? And then you try to explain the context, uh, but it took a little bit of work. And who wants to put in the work? And they're just going to stick with you know, whatever they concluded because that's easier anyway. Ever have that happen to you? So context is, is key. But we often ignore it because it takes a little work. So we're going to do a little bit of work right now. The issue that Paul was addressing here was over clean and unclean food. So hang in there with me. The Old Testament said Israel should only eat clean food. And they had these lists of what they could and couldn't eat. And there were two purposes for this. One was to preserve their identity as the nation of of Israel. And the other one was a theological object lesson teaching us that to enter God's presence, we had to be cleansed first. That was the purpose behind those Old Testament rules there. And so there was a group here in the New Testament church in Rome that was raised under these dietary laws of the Old Testament. And when they heard the gospel, they believed in Jesus as the Messiah, that he is the one that really cleanses us but after centuries of tradition, you know, it had just become part of their identity, and it was just ingrained in them, and it was po- and really important. It was foundational for them. And since they couldn't be sure which meat was clean, they decided to only eat vegetables. And so Paul says, hey, do you remember Jesus? Do you, do you, remember, do you remember the cross? Do you remember his his gospel that that through his, his life, death, and resurrection, he cleanses us permanently? So this is what those old laws were pointing to. And I know that you know this. And plus, when he was here, he declared all food clean. There's no food unclean in Christ. So why does Paul describe this group of people as weak here? because they have not drawn out the implications of the gospel in this particular area of life, and they were in denial about it. Just like so many of us, right? See, the others here, they they would eat anything, and he calls strong primarily Gentile Christians who had not been raised under that tradition. Now, all of this sounds like kind of a a petty uh, argument or splitting hairs, but it's not. Because in another letter, in 1 Corinthians, there's a problem with food again, but just the opposite. The Gentile Christians in Corinth, they were raised in pagan religion, and in those religions, meat was offered to idols and then sold at markets. And so out of fear of eating meat that was offered to idols, you know, it freaked them out. And the Jewish Christians were like, hey, it's an idol's nothing. It's a block of wood. Eat the meat. Just go for it. Enjoy it. So now... What's the point? Right? The so what factor. Here it is. What we see here is true of us. That cultural and racial differences can affect how you read and apply the Bible. We're in denial about that, so I want you to keep an open mind. Cultural and racial differences can affect how you read and apply the Bible. The culture of one group in one place can make them strong, but a culture of the, uh, of the same group in a different setting can make them weak. And so how does all of this that, that I've been rambling on about, how does it apply to, to our lives today and here? I'll tell you how. I'll, I'll tell you how it applies to our life, to your life, to every single one of you right here, right now. Write this down, okay? Are you Ready? Here it is. We need each other. We need each other. We need cultural and racial diversity to better see the truth of the gospel. Because left to ourselves, we'll only see part of the truth and we'll be in denial about it and defensive about it. but I was raised in the church and I know all of the things. My perspective and truth is is perfect and complete. How dare you contradict me? What about this and that? You know what I mean? And just closed mind, not even willing to. And you know what that does? It leads you to be in a community that is made up of only people who have the same perspective as you with all of the same blind spots and then you just affirm each other all the time and ignorance is bliss. To the extent that the church is all the same, it will be blind. Yes, cultural and racial differences can lead, of course they can lead to disagreements in the church, but it's worth it. Do you know what the solution is? The solution to cultural and racial differences is cultural and racial differences. We need each other to see the fullness of Jesus, to see the fullness of his truth and his grace. And we need each other to evaluate our own cultural practices. Because some are in line with the gospel of Jesus and some are not. The world says, nope, the way you get along is to say that all cultural practices are right. Or, on the other hand, and it's still very very worldly, the way you get along with people is to make people feel dumb for not agreeing with you so that they agree with you. (laughs) It sounds ridiculous, but we do this all the time. This is how it undermines the mission that God has given to us. Too too often, some some of the most visible church people adopt that attitude and it's rooted in destructive arrogance. And it undermines the mission that Jesus has called us to prioritize. And we get distracted. We We took our eye off the ball. Christianity says the way that you live with people in God's incredibly diverse kingdom and live with people who are different than you is to be willing to evaluate your own cultural practices and perspectives on the basis of the gospel. Not on the basis of what everybody else says that agrees with you. And we need to do this together, and we need each other for that. Now, none of this, none of this will happen. All of it will be impossible if we don't deliberately enter into relationships with each other, especially people who are different than us, right? Paul says to enter into relationships with one another, especially people who are different with us, requires two things, that we accept one another and that we put others first, right? We agree with that. That sounds nice. Accept one another. You know, it's awesome. Flowers and sunshine and put other people first. You know, pat on the back, good job, you get a gold star, blue ribbon. But when we apply that to people who are fundamentally disagree with us, hey, that, that goes just that's right out the window. You know what it in the first verse he says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And then he says, we who are strong have an obligation to, to bear with the, the feelings of the weak and not, not to please our, our, ourselves. Now, time out. Don't jump to conclusions yet about who is the weak in my life and who is the strong. Just put that on pause for a second, all right? Because that's our tendency. Yeah, they're weak and lame. I need to help them. <laughs> All right, just put that on pause for a second. All right? You know what he's teaching us here? He's teaching us to adjust our lives for the sake of others. To adjust our lifestyle for the benefit of others. Especially people who are different than us. And that's not easy, is it? I mean, we are so preoccupied with ourselves, our way of living, our way of thinking, you know, our arguments and defending them at all costs. And it undermines the mission God's given us to, to fulfill here. Paul says to accept one another. And you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, all right, just put up with one another. He doesn't say that. He says accept one another. And the word translated as accept is better understood as draw in draw in. it's proactive it's not passive in other words draw in people from different races draw in people from different cultures welcome them into your life because of the gospel whatever culture you identify with you have the freedom and you have the power to adapt your lifestyle to meet the needs of others who are different than you and you know what you'll do is you'll you'll bear their burden with humility. Not a paternalistic way, but with humility. And you'll get to know them, and you'll love them, and you will learn from them if you're humble. And you'll try to make a genuine effort to understand their viewpoint, and then you might realize that you might be the one that was wrong all along. It's happened to me. Now, if if you're sitting there and Maybe you feel some cynicism kind of stirring up in your heart. Uh, First of all, cynicism is not a fruit of the spirit, by the way. (laughs) Just a bonus there. If you're thinking, why is making such a big deal about racial and cultural differences? You know, I know a lot of people from different races and cultures, and everything's fine. If that's what you're thinking, you know what it means? chances are really good that you have blind spots in your cultural values. Or you have idolized them. And we all do this, so, I mean, me too, so I'm not judging you, bro. I'm just... I mean, this this happens to all of us. It's just some are in denial about it and some are not. That is why I think, God! I think, God! for the, the people that God has put into my life. And over the years, so many different brothers and sisters of different races and different cultures have welcomed me into relationship with them. They drew me in. They were the ones who were strong and they welcomed me in my weakness. And I couldn't even see my weakness, but they made room in their life for me. They adjusted their life for me because they loved me. It had a profound impact on my life and my relationship with God. I became far more humble, far less cynical. God used them to grow me in my understanding of the truth of the gospel. I'm not promoting some wishy-washy gospel, uh, let's hold a hand, sing kumbaya, everybody's okay, you're okay, I'm okay, everything's fine. I'm not talking about that. Talking about making evaluations in light of the gospel and willing to evaluate your own heart, life, and culture in light of the gospel. And to to loosen our death grip on our own values and culture. Who has God put in your life? So that you might have a a fuller experience of God and and have a, a better knowledge of His truth and who He is. God has used so many people from different races and cultures to grow me in my understanding of the gospel and how to apply it. And I still, to be honest, I don't fully get it. I'm up here preaching but that doesn't mean i got everything figured out. I still don't get it, but at least sometimes I'm aware that I don't get it and that's progress for a white boy like me. Do you understand what we're talking about here? How do people from different races and cultures experience unity? I mean, this... This has been escalating in the world. It has been. Globally. Even in the good old United States of America. With so many people being in denial about it, and so many people being defensive about it, many have lost hope. They've lost hope for unity. But Scripture teaches us to be filled with hope by focusing on Jesus. Paul says, for whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We're talking about the kingdom of God and what He has promised to do. We're talking about (laughs) the return of the King. See, All of the great stories that stir our hearts, all of them are based in the truth that resonates with our soul. The the, the stories that inspire you, that that move you, that that, that break you, that encourage you to persevere, they, they all resonate with our soul, the truth that the king will return. And when our king returns, he will fully establish his kingdom of grace. And the Apostle uh, uh, John, at the end of the Bible, he got a glimpse of what that kingdom looks like. And here's what he says. He says, after this, and I, I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and every tribe and, and, and every people and, and language, a rich diversity, in the worshiping, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice: Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is rich diversity and true unity in Christ. This is our hope because salvation belongs to the Lord. A new kingdom is coming. And it may not happen for a long time, but it's getting closer every single day. And even now it is in our midst. King Jesus has his kingdom outpost and he is gathering together groups of followers who are already living under his rule and his reign. And we're not living it out perfectly yet, but we do have this confidence that one day we will, amen? When our king returns, he will set everything wrong in the world right. I think to a certain degree we'll be Shocked and embarrassed about how much energy we put into so many things that just did not matter and did not contribute to this vision of the kingdom of God. So how can we have this hope? If you're a Christian, you know it. We have this hope because of the cross. And you know what? When we, when we look to the cross, we, we see a couple of different things we see, first of all, God's evaluation of us, which is that we are all so totally weak that we can do nothing to save ourselves. And it took nothing less than the death of God to save us. The second thing we see when we look to the cross is the only strong one, the only one who is truly strong, making room in his life for us. Accepting us. Drawing us in. Drawing us into a relationship with God by sacrificing Himself for us. So that when His kingdom of grace fully comes to this world, we will be counted among those around this throne that we read about. It is the gospel and our grateful response to it with loving obedience that truly unites the most diverse people from around the the, the planet that the world has ever seen or will ever see. You know, in another letter, Paul tells tells us that on the cross, Jesus tore down the walls of hostility that divide us. The division between us and God and the division between each other. It's in Ephesians. And we learn that he took all of the prejudice, all of the discrimination, all of the self-righteousness, all of the abusive thoughts, words, deeds, and attitudes, all the apathy or cynicism towards our own blind spots, and and he took all of that, all of that hostility upon himself, and God killed it. this is good news for you and you and you and you, for all of us. Because it means that you will never have to fear that you will walk into God's presence and that he'll have his arms folded and just shaking his head. That's, <laughs> you'll never see that because of Jesus. His arms are wide open because we're united with him because of Jesus. He delights in you. I mean, just this morning before the service, John Upson was over here and, and his son came running up to him with just arms like, like this. And without any hesitation, I mean, John, of course, Jonathan was, John was like, what do you want? <laughs> he didn't do that. It was instinctual. He just scooped him up and, and was hugging him and doing noses and stuff. I mean, kissing him. I mean, it was just... So often we think God is just our boss, Our employer. Your Heavenly Father loves you because of Jesus. He tore down the hostility between us and him on the cross. And also he's tore down the hostility between each other. Nothing could be more different than God and us. And yet he reached out. He sacrificed to unite with us. And because he's done that, we can do that with each other. As a result, we have peace with God and each other. And so let me ask you as I close here. Are you a follower of King Jesus? Do you claim that? Are you a follower of King Jesus? Some of you are, some of you aren't. And if not, I urge you to look to the cross. Think about what the cross says uh, uh, about your weakness. And don't be in denial about your weakness. i up to it like the rest of us have, you know. The cross has a lot to say about your weakness, that you need him. Think about what the cross means, about God's love for you. And then by faith, trust him as your savior. Trust him as your king. Trust him today. Join with others in following him. Know that you are welcome here. I'm urging you, I plead with him, put your faith and trust in him today. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I urge you also to look to the cross. God's word says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So let me ask you, who is it? I mean, rubber meets the road time here. Who is it that God is asking you to make room for in your life? Anybody come to mind? Who is it that God wants you to adjust your lifestyle for, to draw them in? Maybe you don't want to welcome them in or maybe you don't want to learn from them because how can I possibly learn anything from them? Maybe you don't want to be united with them. Maybe you look down on them. Is it because they're a different race or maybe they, they, they look like you in almost every way but they're just from a different culture, maybe a different political party or a different church background with different ways of doing church? Or, uh, you know what? Usually it's our fear of people who are different from us that keep us from loving them and listening to them. If I listen to them, start talking. It's a slippery slope. It leads right into hell. Right? God in the scriptures teaches us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been... in love and we love because he first loved us so those of you who consider infusion church to be your home or want to will you join me in recommitting ourselves to being a kingdom outposts will you do that Will you help me demonstrate the presence of the coming kingdom as we climb the walls of division and accept one another just as Christ has accepted us? Will you join me in that? I believe this is what God wants us to become. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that even though we could not be more different, even though we had made you our enemy, that you reached out to us. You loved us. You showed us your grace. You drew us in. And your kindness led us to repentance. And so, God, it is my prayer that in this moment that we would not be distracted by anything else that's going on, that, we're, that, we would not be, that we wouldn't be daydreaming about something else, but that we would sit with this truth in Your Word this morning. God, it is, it is my prayer on behalf of the church I'm not sure everybody wants me to pray this, but on behalf of the church, I pray that you would do in us anything it is that you need to do in our lives in order to make us more like you. Whatever it takes, make us more like Jesus. Make the truth of Jesus and His grace more real to us so it shapes our lives. And God, there's a very good chance that there are many here who think they have it all together. And the only way they may come to, to know your truth and your grace is uh, through great hardship and suffering. And so I pray for them that you would protect them and that you would preserve them through the suffering that draws you or draws them to you. And God, I pray that every single one of us would see as we look to the cross that every single one of us needed Jesus. Every single one of us still needs Jesus. God, I pray that you would make us a true community of grace. And God, we we pray that you would make us a diverse kingdom united in Christ to reflect your fully established communion, or your fully established kingdom where we have communion with one another and with you, despite all the differences, that our communion with with one another would be better because of our differences. God, we pray that the cross would make us humble. That it would enable us to evaluate our own hearts and lives and and that we would repent of our cynicism, that we would repent of our scoffing, that we would repent of of, uh, our defensiveness, our, our denial. God, make us a kingdom outpost that glorifies our King.